So as you guys can turn your Bibles there and let's pray. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for another time we get to come and gather together. Even though the building is cold and it's cold outside, but yet we're still able to come in and um, and I just thank you for those who are willing to come out. Anyone can have Bible studies in, in nice weather and a nice climate-controlled building, but Lord, for those who will come out and, and who, who want to be here and to hear your word and to do these things and gather together. So love you. Bless those who are here. Uh, fill into overflow with your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflow with your Holy Spirit for the, for the teaching of your word, for the receiving of your word. Holy Spirit, as in times past, a one Bible study that, that you've given me to bring and, and to give out, but yet ask that it would hit every, every person exactly where it needs to, needs to hit, exactly where it needs to go into the heart and uh, the things that, of life that are, that are in each and every person's lives and uh, to apply and, and have those things change in their lives. And Lord, that we would be doers of your word. Ask that none of us would, would leave and walk out the door and simply just say that was a great Bible study or even if it wasn't a great Bible study, but simply take those things away and not worry whether it was good or bad, but simply was it the word of God? And how do I apply it to my life? And uh, just love you, Lord. Just love you that we get to come and do this. And just praise and glorify your name, Lord. Amen. Psalm 97. So for those of you who like titles, I'm one of those people. Is Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. So taken from Philippians 4.4. But we're going to be Psalm 97. So the very first verse begins, and as in times past, this is obviously, you know this about me, we're going to spend quite a bit of time on this very first verse because there is a lot that I was, again, you, you've heard me say this many times over. This very first verse just kind of, it, it blew me away with what was packed into it. But seemingly, I would have just read right over it. Well, okay, that sounds nice. That's great. But yet to, to go into the, to the original words and the language and, and see what's in there and, and what David is, is getting across. So it begins, the Lord reigneth. So we're not even going to get that far into the verse before we're going to go somewhere else. So Lord reigneth. So we're going to first turn to Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. And so it is going to be a lot of verses to go through today. So just be ready for that. If not, you can just jot them down and you can go look at them later. Or you can, uh, you can get there with me as well. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. As I'm about to get there. All right. All right, so verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, speaking of Jesus, and set him, Jesus, at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So again, at, at the right hand, seated on the throne. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. says, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum, we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Again, speaking of Jesus, that high priest. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 33. So Acts 2, 29 through 33. Come on, almost there. Slightly bigger pages, so it's a little bit harder there <laughs> with my little hands. 29 through 33. It says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. And his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. So again, as, as we look at this, David penning most of the Psalms that, that we read, there are a few that are not, but this one, the Lord reigneth, as it begins with that, with that incredible uh, just phrase. And you imagine these were songs. So as they're there in the temple, 
do you hear the crescendos and you hear the music and you see everything swelling up? And as we'll get into this later on, I don't believe that this psalm was a nice, quiet, nice psalm that was there. This is, there's some power behind this from what I can assume. Now, obviously, I don't know that for sure. I wasn't there when the music was being played. But just the way that David writes this, it seems to be there's a lot of exclamation and a lot of uh, raising the voice in young. So the Lord reigneth. And what an amazing declaration that is. Because like we just read, David many times penning these psalms was prophesying many years in advance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, again, as we look there in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter talking to those, saying what? The promise was given that through David's line, through him, the, the Messiah would come. And David, again, if you remember with me, taken aback, just goes back, probably rubs his head, is just has to sit down with the knowledge, says, what? Me? And David says, look at, look at what I've done, and yet you're going to come back and bless me this way. And uh, uh, he wasn't confused. He wasn't confused by this. And again, as he comes and pens this, and the Lord reigneth. In the next phrase, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. And so thereof is, is italicized, so it shows it wasn't really in there. But it gives us the emphasis, or gives us the, the, ex, the, the explanation for it as we go on to the next couple of verses. But let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. And here is really what, what struck me as I was studying ahead. The word let is the same word as rejoice and glad in the phrases. So when you read it, the Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice, it really is rejoice, the earth rejoice. Be glad, the multitude of isles, be glad. And so, like I just said, I have it in the notes, so the verse would read, rejoice, earth, rejoice, and be glad, multitude of isles, be glad. So we know that the double use of the word denotes an exclamation on it. And like I said before, this wasn't some quiet statement, but it was a loud cry to the world to rejoice. That our God reigns. And you imagine that as there would be times of where they're in the in captivity or where they're coming back from captivity. And what an important psalm this would be to say what? It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. God reigns. He's on the throne. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad. Rejoice, earth. Rejoice. Be glad, isles. Be glad. Uh, and I love that. So Philippians 4.4, 4, if you turn with me there. Philippians 4.4, 4, obviously a very popular verse and we know it, but I like to turn there anyway. Philippians, almost there. No dead air. All right, Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Now again, the word rejoice in the very first part, so let the earth rejoice, is the word gil, which means to rejoice, to be glad, to tremble. And it actually, this very first verse has a connotation with the rejoicing is there's some sort of fear or trembling involved. Um, so this word, all right, yeah, I'll just do this first. This word rejoice has the connotation of rejoicing in a time of distress or fear, either after the fact or in the midst of it. A few examples First Chronicles sixteen thirty to thirty one. So first Chronicles chapter sixteen verses thirty and thirty one. And sixteen, there we go. So let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice, and let men say among the nations the Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar and the oh. I didn't I read thirty one instead of thirty. All right, verse thirty. Fear before him all the earth, the world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. Let the earth be glad, and let the earth rejoice, and let men say among the nations, Let the Lord that the Lord reigneth. Uh, Psalm two eleven. As we continue down, Psalm two eleven. If I can get there in time. Come on. Psalm 2.11. This is the problem of having a phone that I can just quickly press chapter and verse instead of getting used to going through my Bible again in here. All right, Psalm 2.11. Serve the Lord with fear 
and rejoice with trembling. Psalm 9, verses 13 and 14. Just a few pages there to the, to the right. Psalm 9, 13 and 14. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that lifteth me up from the gates of death, that I may shew forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. Psalm 13, verses 4 and 5. So Psalm 13, verses 4 and 5, Lest mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Uh, let's see. Oh, through 5. Sorry. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. In Psalm 14, 6 and 7, Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion when the Lord bringeth back to cap- the captivity of his people. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. So in each one of the verses, it had to do with some sort of um, either in trouble, in distress, or the reminder of that God will still be gracious. In his mercy, we'll be able to still rejoice. And again, I like that. As we begin that, the Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. The earth that was under judgment, the earth that was under that which is God says what? Now it's been given over to sin. And what? He judged the earth first and foremost by the flood. Setting up the rainbow there as that promise it would never destroy it by water, but we know that what's going to come later on? It's going to be destroyed by fire. But yet God in his mercy has allowed us that through his son we can be forgiven. And so we can rejoice in the fact that our wrath, our punishment, our sin was judged upon his cross that we wouldn't have to bear it. So again, I love that. And now the next section, the let the multitude of aisles be glad thereof. And this is what struck me because the Holy Spirit goes, okay, why are they using two different words? Why not have rejoice and rejoice? Obviously for the redundancy maybe, but there is a difference. So the word be glad is another word that means almost the exact same thing as the other one. So the word be glad is sama, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which I'm probably not, which means to rejoice and be glad. So notice they seem to mean exactly the same thing, but this word does not, ha- does not come with fear. So the examples for this word. Examples are the example is Exodus 4, verse 14. Exodus 4, verse 14. Exodus 4, verse 14. There we go. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he, or is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he comes forth to meet thee. And when he sees thee, he will be glad in his heart. Leviticus 23, 40. Leviticus, Leviticus 23:40. Come on. Leviticus 23:40. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. So that word rejoice there is the same one used as be glad in Psalm 97. Deuteronomy 12.7. So Deuteronomy 12.7. There's numbers. There's Deuteronomy. All right. Deuteronomy 12.7. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand into, ye and your household, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. So back to Psalm, Psalm 9 again. Psalm 9, verses 1 and 2. I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will shew forth all thy marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in thee. I will sing praise to thy name, O thou most high. And back to Psalm 14. Psalm 14, 7. O that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion, when the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. So again, we had read that verse before. But again, those same differences of words are being used. Jacob shall gil, and Israel shall sama. 
So again, that connotation of fear. And then these word, this word meaning not having fear. And I like as we're going through the words in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's speaking of the feasts, it's speaking of the sacrifices. So again, there's no fear in the fact that we rejoice that God has already has taken our sin, has taken this and taken our place, and that now through his blood we now can enter in and actually have fellowship with him. So again, I, I love those things. So notice how fear is not a factor here. It is a rejoicing in the times of good. This song gives right in its beginning that it does not matter what state we find ourselves in, we are to rejoice and be glad because our Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne. And again, just what a blessing that was. Because I can't say that a few weeks ago, I actually was all that joyful or rejoicing. But as we go through, uh, and not for any particular reason, it was just that as we came to the Bible study last Sunday, speaking of the relationship, the relationship with the Lord, and, and really to have to answer that question honestly and say, am I actually uh, enjoying my relationship with the Lord? And no, I was getting my eyes focused on other things. I was looking at things going on in the world, I was looking at different job change or, or something just being discontent with the things that were there. But in reality, I had to come back and say, what, what is it that is important? And that's the relationship with Jesus Christ. It, all these other things can be set aside because it, it really is... What has he called me to do? What am I to do there? And so I can honestly say, I am enjoying my relationship with the Lord. I can now come honestly and say, yes, I am. And continuing to work at not working, <laughs> as we, if you remember that with me from Sunday. Verse 2, clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. And again, I, I like this because the clouds and darkness are round about him. Seemingly, again, as they were there on the mountain, uh, on Mount Sinai, here comes this this dark cloud and lightnings and thunderings are, are there and seemingly at the beginning is what? This great fear and awe and the fact that this is a holy God and, and that's what's there. Clouds and darkness, it should be a fearful thing when we come before that. This is the God that has allowed us to come near unto him but we no longer have to fear because he's made us right before in his sight by the blood of Jesus Christ. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. Now, you guys may have already caught that, habitation. I, I looked up the word again just to make sure, or just to look at it, and I like the fact the word for habitation means foundation. So righteousness and judgment are the foundation of his throne. He can be nothing but just, righteous, and true in all that he does. And as we get into the rest of, of this uh, psalm, we're going to go through the mighty power that our God wields, the powers of nature and the, and the things that he's created, and yet now because of sin, Things are now used in, in a way that were never meant to, to do this. Death was never to be a factor, but yet we have what? All these things of natural disasters, heavy winds, tsunamis, earthquakes, all of these things that entered in because sin now was a part of it. But his, on his throne is righteousness and judgment. So everything that he does, every judgment that he pours out is just and righteous and true. No more, no less than what is deserved. And that is a, a thing that our world and those who live in the world have a really hard time with. But we'll get to that in a little bit later. But remember that, his throne, the foundation, righteousness and judgment. Verse 3, A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. So a few verses for this, Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24. Leviticus 9, verse 24. And I had a blast going back through this again. And uh, seemingly as I go through the Psalms, I'm like, well, what am I really going to teach? What am I really going to get get out of this? And <laughs> as usual, you have heard me say that phrase many times before, and then I'm always blown away by what comes out. Leviticus chapter 9, verse 24. And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Numbers 11.1. 1. Would you turn there with me? Numbers 11.1. 1. And I went too far. Numbers 11.1. 1. There we go. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Number 1635. Number 1635. Uh, one more page. 
And there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. 1 Kings 18.38. And we'll go into detail a little bit into these in a minute. 1 Kings 18.38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And finally, Hebrews 12.29 uh, we can turn there or you can come back. Our God is a consuming fire. So again, Psalm 97, verse 3, A fire goeth before him and burneth up his enemies round about him. Leviticus 9.24, The fire of the Lord coming and, and saying what? I received the sacrifice. It, it wasn't rejected. The fire of God comes and consumes upon it. Numbers 11.1, 1, In God's displeasure because of the complaining and, and, and speaking against the Lord, God consumes those on the outskirts of, of the camp. Number 1635, that's when they come back and they are offering up the strange fire before the Lord. The they, guys are coming up and, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it's the strange fire. I see. No, I didn't look it up. But he goes and destroys those who, who tried to come up and, and say they could also be part of that ministry, which they were not given to do. First Kings 1838, that's when Elijah is there before the 400 prophets of Baal. And they're there and they're wailing and crying and cutting themselves and, and trying to do all the things to get their God to come and do something. And Elijah's right there making fun of them, saying, well, maybe your God is sleeping. Well, maybe he can't come right now. Maybe he's busy. Well, he, he might be using the restroom. Maybe that's why he's not here consuming the sacrifice. And I mean, again, just, just to kind of spite him, Elijah goes back and does what? He goes and he digs up the trench, says, all right, bring, bring those three barrels of water pour it on the sacrifice, fill up the moat around, if, around it, and he cries out one time. And what happens? Fire from heaven comes down, consumes the sacrifices, the stones, the dust, the water, everything is consumed. So that everyone around says, I think we know who won. I think we know which God is real. And then goes on and says, what? The other 400 are destroyed as they try to escape and again are, are consumed and destroyed. Uh, Hebrews 12.29 <clears throat> our God is a consuming fire. We, When we come and have this, and, and the world has taken this, uh, and the whole teddy bear Jesus, or the, this over-fluffing and, and, and over-emphasis of the love of God, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is holy, and he is righteous, and he cannot look upon sin. Uh, we cannot just come and enter in any way that we would like. Now we do, in, in mercy, get to come before his throne. But may it never be that we forget who it is that we come before, as we come before him, as we come to his throne and receive mercy and grace, receiving mercy in that time of need. Now, again, not to come back and say that he's what? He's called us his friends. But there's been an overemphasis. He said, well, I'll just come back and I just, I hang out with Jesus. I kick it with him. Yeah, he's my homeboy. Again, these are things I've actually heard. And there's, now there's no more reverence that comes with the name of God. But to remind these things, our God is a consuming fire. I'm reminded of Ananias and Sapphira as they come up and they hatch their plan. We'll, we'll sell the money in hopes that people will look at and say, Ooh, ah, look, at, look at the sacrifice that they're offering up. Look at how much it costs and they're selling their home and their land and they're going to come and give it so that so they can be dispersed. And in reality, they did want taken a portion for themselves and made it seem like they were doing it to they were going to come back and give it all and peter says is this all of it yes yes it is why have you lied to the holy spirit falls down dead a few a few moments later his wife comes up not knowing what happened is this how much you sold the land for yes it is how is it that you and your husband have conspired to lie against the Holy Spirit? Listen, aren't the feet of those who buried your husband now coming back? She falls down dead and the guys come back and another one? Pick him up and bring her back out. But again, our, our God is consuming fire. He, he, he's righteous and just. And seemingly what? There might have been people in that crowd who said, wow, that's harsh. But what is it? His foundation is righteousness and judgment. It was exactly the punishment needed for what was happening there. A work of God was happening and someone else tried to come in 
and try to try to steal the glory from God. And not that God's petty, but what would have happened? What would have been the precedent? Oh, God's okay with that. And that was not how it was to be. It was to be the free will offering of people coming and doing that. Verse 4, His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. Exodus 19.16. So Exodus 19.16, speaking of Mount Sinai, as they're there about to receive the law, Exodus 19.16. If I can only get there. There we go. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. Uh, Psalm 98, verses 34 to 37. Just a little bit to the left. Psalm 89, verses 34 through 37. 89... I was almost there, and then I went one page too far. All right, 34 through 7. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. Am I in the right one? I'm sorry, I went to the wrong thing. Job 38, 35. That would explain why that, I'm like, that verse is not supposed to show up yet. Job 38, 35. And if you want to keep a finger in Job, we will be back to 38 again. Psalm 38, verse 35. Canst thou send lightnings that they may go and say unto thee, Here, here we are? And Jeremiah 10, verses 10 through 13. Jeremiah 10, verses 10 through 13. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble, and the nation shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he uttered his voice, there was a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he caused the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain, and bringeth forth the wind out of his treasures. Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image. For his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity, and the work of errors in the time of their visitation, they shall perish. I went too far. but. And again, that same phrase is reiterated back in 51.16, that he makes the lightnings, he makes the rains that, that, that come. Job 38.35, I, I love going through that section and seeing Job ask the question, uh, almost basically why, and God never really answers it. He says, do these things listen to you? Were you there when the earth was formed? Were you there when all these things were there? Have you walked in the depths of the sea that we can't even get to right now with all of our technological advances? He says, he says I'm there. A God really just coming back and saying, what? I created all this. I know the depths. I know every single thing that is here in this earth. And you question why these things have, have come into your life? My goodness. <laughs> and, what are, and I love that phrase. Does the lightning really come back and, and ask you, here we are, where do you want us to go? And that question that comes into it, the, it, it blows my mind to think that. Every single lightning strike that happens, first and foremost, has to go to God and ask, should we go there? Every single world, everything that's there, all of the judgments, yes, even though we live in a fallen world and we have natural disasters, every single thing, first and foremost, has to go through God's hands. And God has to say, yes. Now again, I am not saying that God is the one that causes all these natural disasters. They are, a, they are a result of sin. And that's the biggest hurdle that most people come back and say, how could a loving God, how could a loving God, how could a loving God allow all this to happen? When in reality, what? If we hadn't sinned, none of that would have happened. But God is what? 
In all of his ways, he's righteous and true and just. But again, the fearfulness that we should have, this is the God that we serve. Not in trembling that we're so afraid that God's going to strike us down, but this is the God we serve. There's a fear and a reverence that comes and says, I'm glad to be on his side. I'm glad that, I can, that I've been forgiven by him. I'm glad that he actually has offered us a way that we can actually go to him. Instead of saying, what? All right, you're done. You've broken the commandments. You're now strike dead. <laughs> Praise God for his mercy that he offers unto us. Jeremiah 10, as you go through that, I understand why the world wants to try and make it seem that there is no God. Because that's a fearful thing to think that you're going to stand against them and you're going to hope that you can actually fight and win against the God that actually controls all these things, who created all of these things, who has in store the lightnings and the hail and the, and the fierceness of his wrath that's going to be poured upon this earth in the book of Revelation. I can understand why they would really hope that God doesn't exist. But the reality is he does. And his judgment is, is fierce. But he's offered mercy in a way that actually we can turn ahead of time. Uh, verse 4, back in Psalm 97. No, sorry, verse 5. The hills melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Judges 5, 4 through 5. And this was the, the another again with this verse. Because a lot of this, I'm like, okay, well, have we seen a lot of this stuff happen with the mountains melting, that type of stuff? And almost every verse speaking of this is in, is speaking of his return, which again just gets me excited. So Judges 5, verses 4 through 5. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchedest out of the fields of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even, the, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. So again, speaking of, uh, of Sinai, again, the, the songs that are there and the picturesque language of it didn't actually melt, but it said what? It seemed like it. The fact of the fire upon the, upon the mountain, the, the dark clouds upon there, the lightnings and the thunderings and the voices of everything that was going on, it, w- it was such an amazing sight. Isaiah chapter 24, Isaiah 24, 19 through 21. So Isaiah 24, verses 19 through 21. The earth is utterly broken down. The earth is clean dissolved. The earth is moved exceedingly. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and that shall fall and not rise again. And that shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. Micah chapter 1 and then verses 2 through 4. So Micah chapter 1. And I always come back and skip it. So let's see if I can actually get it this time. Nope, still skipped it. Micah chapter 1. Hear all ye people. And this is verse 2. Hearken, O earth, and all that therein is. And let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains shall be molten under him and the valleys shall be cleft. A, a wax before, as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. Nahum chapter one verses two through nine. So Nahum chapter, oh, sorry, Nahum chapter one verses two through nine. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. But with an overrunning flood he will make an utter end of the place thereof and darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. And again, (laughs) you hear those words? Uh, again, praise God 
that we are not going to have to endure that. We're not going to be those who are, who are under his wrath. We're not going to be those who have to come back and, and, and stand before a holy God and, and endure that. I mean, again, can you imagine on that day you stand before him and you know that, uh, I, I always come back again, and we've said this before, but those who come back and hope that they're good have outweighed their bad. When you stand before that holy God and you, and you come back and you see him and, and you say, well, hopefully I've done enough. They come in here. <laughs> Lord, we ask for whatever's going on out there. If it's uh, someone's uh, getting hurt or whatever's going on, you protect all the law enforcement and uh, firefighters and all those who are there and protect anyone who's there and they're able to get into the hospital if they need you. Amen. Um, but with that, isn't it just what a relief and what a joy it is to be able to say on that day, we don't stand in ourselves. On that day, we get to stand before him and say, I took the way you prescribed. I went in by the narrow gate. I went in by the foot of the cross. I bowed down there. And even in that, even with the regenerated bodies, what are we going to do when we see him? Fall on our faces. Because we realize just how unworthy we are and says, overwhelmed by the love of God that says, why? Why would you choose the likes of us and, and offer us a second chance? Why would you offer us the ability to actually come and be before you? Offer us your holiness. Offer us your sinless life. What is it about us? And it says, there is nothing about you. It was my love for you. And again, it, it, it simply just overwhelms as we remember these things. Verse 6 and 97. What time have I gone? All right. Verse 6, we will get through it. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Job 38, 32. And I was foolish enough not to put my finger back there. Verse John 38, verse 32. 38, 32. Canst thou bring forth Mezeroth in his season? Or canst thou guide Arcturus with his sons? And again, Mezeroth being that, the gospel in the stars, the gospel that God had even put up all the way in there. For those who would later on find and invent the telescope to look up into the heavens and say what? Those of you who want to look at this, here you go. There's even the gospel that I've written all the way in creation where the stars are up there. Just what an amazing thing. If you haven't, I would say look that up. It was an amazing read to come back and, and look at that again. And uh, just, I love that. Even in the stars, before anyone could have ever realized it, there it is. The heavens declare his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 89, 34 to 37. Now this is the place it was supposed to be here. Psalm 89, verses 34 to 37. And again, the witness in the sky of these things. It shall be established forever as the moon and as the faithfulness, faithful witness in the sun, in the heaven, sorry, hela, selah. <laughs> but thou hast cast off and abhorred. Thou hast been wroth with thine anointed. Thou hast made void the covenant of thy servant. Thou hast uh, profaned his crown. Wait, where am I at here? I have went too far. Sorry. 34 of Psalm 89. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. There we go. That's where I'm supposed to stop. Genesis chapter 9, verses 12 through 16. Genesis chapter 9, right there, verses 12 through 16. This is when Noah now is coming out of the ark. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For perpetual generations I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. So again, as we look at that, and I mean, even for myself, I, have we forgotten that? Do you, do you ever get back and get overjoyed when it rains? 
and you look up and you see that, that rainbow still up in the sky? Does it ever hit you and you come and you remember, that's the promise. As you look up, that's a covenant God has made with all of us. And said, what? I'm not going to destroy you by water. Because what would have happened had he not done that? All those people who remembered, or, or Noah and, and his kids, and, and as they're remembering these things, what would they have done? Is it going to happen again? Clouds are coming over. Is, is, where's the boat? They would start freaking out. But he says, what? Here's the, here's, here's the sign. And I remember, I don't remember who it is that I heard this from, but going listening to a Bible study, and I like the imagery that he had talked about that. He says, you think of the rainbow. And in reality, you come back and think of God setting down his actual bow, a weapon of war. And I'm saying, okay, I'm laying down this weapon of war that I could use to destroy you. And I'm setting it down, and here's the witness. And again, just the love and the mercy that he pours out. And I always let going back in, as you, if I remember correctly, it's in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, when you see the mobile throne of God as, it, as it's moving, and you see in it what's always depicted around him. All the way around the throne of God is depicted a rainbow. So that no matter where he looks, no matter who he sees, the covenant is always there before him. I am not going to judge them by water. The love and the grace and the mercy of our God. All right, so verses 2 through 6. This is the mighty power of our God, and yet, as we will see in the next two verses, what you choose to place your trust in will determine how you respond to the great power that our God yields or wields. Verse 7. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. Turn me to Jeremiah 10, verses 1 through 15. So Jeremiah 10, verses 1 through 15. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. For the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, and work the work of his of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails with, and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might." Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? For to thee doth it appertain, for as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms there is none like unto thee. But they are altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of, of vanities. Silver spread into plates is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz and the work of the workmen and of the hands of the founder. Blue and purple is their clothing. They are all the work of cunning men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. At his wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall ye say unto them, The gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. He hath made the earth by his power. He hath established the world in, by his wisdom and hath stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he uttereth his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens and he causeth the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings with rain and bringeth forth the wind out of the, out of his treasures. Every man is brutish in his knowledge. Every founder is confounded by the graven image, for his molten image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. They are vanity and the work of errors. In the time of their visitation, they shall perish. And I love the contrast. God's just calling it out. You're really going to go serve the pieces of wood? You're really going to serve the God that can't move? can't create, can't answer prayer, can't do any of these things, that you literally have to, instead of your idol carrying your burden, you have to carry it as a burden. You have to put it onto your shoulders and walk it wherever you want it to go. It says, don't be like them. And yet, time and time again, what happened? Israel was given over to this little idol or this big idol. Again, I, I always remembered and I love when the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant back to them and what happens? They set it up in the, the temple of their God, Dagon. Big, huge statue of this weird fish god that they have there. And as the Ark is set inside there, they come in the next day and what happened to it? It's laying down prostrate with its face <laughs> in front of it. 
So what do they do? Scratch their head. That's, that's strange. Well, let's pick it up. And their God can't even lift itself back up. And they have to go and they bear it up and they push it back and it's back in its position now. And the next morning they show up and there it is on the ground again. Hands are, are cracked off and the head is missing. It's cracked on the, in its face. And what, what, what's their declaration? We believe this is the true God. We got to get this thing out of here. That's what they say. This is our God is whatever is happening with this idol. This thing is freaky. We got to get this thing out so our God can actually stay established like we already have it instead of turning. And that's the foolishness of the world that we live in. That's the foolishness of the world that we used to be a part of. That we would rather try to live for the idols and the things that of our own lusts of our flesh than actually say, I think from all the evidence that Jesus Christ is God. And praise the Lord that as I stand here, I, I'm amongst fellow believers. We've all made the decision. We've looked at the evidence. At least I pray you have. Search these things out. Don't believe, again, just because someone else has told you this. Don't believe me just because I'm up here and I'm reading through these scriptures. Go back and verify it. Go back and look if these things are true. And you make the decision whether these things are true. And then once you figure that out, hold fast to it and don't let it go. Many will look at the forces of nature that God commands and will say, how can a loving God allow these things to happen? Yet we do not need to be confounded because we know that God's throne is founded on righteousness and judgment. Yes, it is sad when things happen, when tsunamis go and they destroy a bunch of different cities, when earthquakes happen and literally people are are sucked up into the earth and, and die, when tornadoes are there and people are sucked up by that and thrown across whatever's happening or just ripped to shreds by the by the fierceness of the wind, when hail comes down and it's big enough that it actually is able to crush people's skulls. I don't know if that's ever happened in history. It might have, but it's going to come later on. It will one day. Again, it, it, it's, I, I have no way coming back and saying that it's a good thing that these things happen. But will we look at those forces of nature and say, how can a loving God do that? Or we say, okay, Lord, I don't understand it. I don't know why this happens. I don't know why these things have gone in there. But I know this one thing. You're righteous, you're true, and you're good. And for whatever reason you allow that to happen, you're good. And that's the hard part for this world to wrap their heads around. And even in all honesty, fellow believers, because that's what Satan will use the most. Satan will come in and say, well, see, God's not good. God's not loving. Look what just happened to all those people. See, God doesn't exist. Because if he, if he honestly had all the power to stop it, don't you think he would? These are the lies that perpetuate the, the, the world that we live in. Verse 8, Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. Do you see the difference? God, I don't know, but you're righteous and you're true. If it is a judgment, if it's because of sin, it's because of sin. But if you honestly judged this, then you're true and you're righteous in your judgments. There was a few th- things that as you look at some of these crazy natural disasters that have happened, they usually, sometimes, not always, coincide with a decision that's being made toward Israel. Some sort of legislation that's about to come up to that Israel now is going to be, either we're, we're going to stop funding them, we're going to stop being a part of them, and somehow, seemingly, again, some natural disaster, some tsunami, something happens. There was a tsunami that happened in, in Japan not too many years ago. And there wasn't really that big a loss of life, but what did it hit? all of the temples to all of the pagan gods. Interesting how that seems to work out. So again, not every natural disaster is God's judgment, but I do honestly believe that some are. And do we actually look at those things? What do we have uh, earlier when we had drought? And because of our technological advances, we can kind of mitigate that. But in all honesty, who knows if that was God's judgment over the things that were happening in our country and in our world. But going back to this, Verse 8, Zion heard and was glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. Back to Jeremiah Jeremiah 10, verse 16. I should have said to stay there. I'm very sorry. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 16. The very next verse after that. I love it because he's talking to him and saying what? Don't believe in the idols. And he's talking about how the people are confounded for who trust in idols. And yet here in verse 16 of chapter 10 of Jeremiah, The portion of Judah is not like them. 
for he is the form of all things, and Israel is the rod of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. You and I do not need to be confounded. We do not need to come back and be so worried about what's happening by natural disaster and things that happen in there because we know the God who is in control of all of it. The winds and the waves obey his name. Revelation 11, verse 16 through 18. And we, yes, we are almost done. Revelation chapter 11, verse 16 through 18. Yet future, we're going to be in heaven at this point. So rejoice with that. Revelation eleven sixteen through 18. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God in their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying... We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come in the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give re reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Revelation 19, 1 through 6. And after these things, after Babylon has fallen, after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. And really, it, it dawned on me, do I really give God worship and do I give him praise over the judgment that he is going to have? Over the judgments that he's had in the past, over the things that are there? Because that, in all honesty, people have tried to use that, right? As you try to share the gospel, well, how could God go back and he, he's okay with genocide? How can I serve a God like that? He had all the Canaanites and said, go slaughter them all. I don't want to serve a God like that. When what does the Bible say? Did God just on a whim say, go destroy all these people? No. He said, I've given them space to repent. Even earlier in the, in the book of Genesis, it says what? Not yet. Their sin has not been yet fulfilled. I'm still giving them more time. And when you look at the sins of the land of Canaan and what they chose to do and how they treated women, how they treated children, how they sacrificed them, the sins that they committed with each other and with everything else around them, that God, when the children of Israel come into the land, says, for the first year, do not have anything of that. Wait, because everything had been corrupted by the sins that they had done. The trees, the plants, the ground itself, every last thing in the land of Canaan was corrupted by the sinful practices that they, that they had done. That's why God chose to destroy them. Not because they were some innocent people that were there. Because literally everyone around them. It's the same thing of what they're trying to do to our country today. They want to look back and look at everything as it was just a bad thing. And say, well, those who came, they came back and had genocide to all of the natives who were there. That's not true. Did bad things happen? Yes. But who, who did they come back and say, we need to get rid of them? It was the cannibals, who even the other natives around them said, we're okay with that. Because they come and they hunt us and they kill us and they headhunt us and they eat us. We will be much safer without them there. And they had been given time to repent. And what was the, what was the truth? We don't want to give this up. We like what we do. I don't care what you have to say. I don't care if it's moral or not. I'm going to do what I want to do. And again, I'm not saying and condoning any sort of murder, but God said what? That's the judgment. They are unwilling to repent. I have given them the time. I have judged them. I have given them the, these opportunities to turn, and they will not turn, just like he's done this entire time. And we still have a period of, of grace and mercy that we live in because we're still here. But there will be a time and a place when we're taken out, 
And it's going to be marvelous. And obviously the most horrible way possible. <laughs> but it's going to be marvelous in that the way that he judges and how he chooses to use these things. And this is why it, it should come back into our hearts and why we desire people to turn. Because we know what's coming. You and I know what's coming. You and I know what's going to come back and happen. And the hailstorms and the earthquakes and the fire and everything that is going to come upon the people who rejected God. But praise God, there's still joy because many of them choose. And who knows if, as you're talking, the people that you talk to and they've rejected now, prayerfully, and that's my hope, that those who have rejected now will come back and see, okay, I think what they told me was true. And prayerfully they turn then. Ah, man, do we rejoice knowing that God will judge this world? Do we rejoice that it is because of his judgment upon sin, his wrath poured out upon his son, that we are able to escape the wrath to come? Do we receive the judgment he's, he makes when he puts his finger on a habit, a lifestyle, a sin in our lives, and he says, put it away? So a few questions that I had as I was going through this study. How do I respond to the judgment? What was the, the judgment of Nineveh? Jonah goes out and says what? I forget if it's three days. I forget the time span. He says, in this time span, God's going to destroy you. That's it. No grace, no mercy, nothing of that. And Jonah says, what? I want them to die. God, I don't want to go and tell them this because you're gracious and you're merciful and perchance they repent. I know you're going to turn your wrath away from them. I don't want to go. Gets in a boat and tries to escape. God gets a hold of him. <laughs> Sends what? And that's God's judgment even to, to Jonah. Sends the ship and all of a sudden they're all crying out. All the other passengers, what's going on? Everyone pray to your God. And they're all bringing up their, their different idols and praying, oh, whatever God can hear us, please save us from the, from the, from the storm and the waves and we're going to die at sea. And Jonah comes up and says, hey, how are you sleeping? Get up and pray. Perhaps your God will be able to help us. I mean, this is this is the real fear that they had and Jonah says I know why this is happening what it's me the God of Israel I'm a prophet he sent me to go and, I, and I'm trying to run again my paraphrase it's only one thing you can do well, what is it throw me overboard no we can't do that <laughs> We're not going to throw you over. Maybe there's another way. And they try and they're wrestling with the rigging and the ropes and everything, and the sails. And the storm is just getting worse and worse. And they're being jostled everywhere they go. And they said, fine, okay. Lord, the God of Israel, the one that we really don't serve, this man's blood's not in our hands. They pick him up and they throw him in the sea. And waters are still. They're saved. And God had sent that fish, big fish, to come in and sucked up Jonah. Three days, three nights, stuck in the belly of the fish. And Jonah's praying the entire time. I forget what psalm it is, but as David's writing that out, uh, I believe it's David who writes it, and it says, what, seaweed wrapped around my head. I don't know, could be that part of, of even as Jonah, that, that likeness of what it was probably like to be inside there. In complete, utter darkness with all of the crazy sounds and all of the, the acids from inside the, the fish's stomach. And being, I mean, can you imagine being inside a fish? And Jonah was in there, three days, three nights, praying. All right, I'll go, <laughs> whatever it is. And that fish vomits him out onto the land. Probably pale skinned, no hair, whatever it is that, that he goes in there. You can tell he wasn't a, a normal man anymore at that point. Walks in an Nineveh. And goes and is proclaiming the message. God's going to judge you. You'll be destroyed. And what does the king of Nineveh do? <laughs> Tears his clothes. Put ashes on his head. Perchance, says everyone, repent, basically. Perchance, this, the God who has given this judgment will turn his wrath away, and God does. And Jonah's angry. And in all honesty, for us, do we get that way sometimes? Do we have people that have come back and harnessed who have done that and say, God, I really don't want them to be saved. And I have to admit, I've had that before. And I have to repent and say, God, that's wrong. 
That, that, is, that is utterly wicked, and that's not your will, and that's not even the love that you've given. And God's merciful and gracious. That's what we get to go give out to people. There's a judgment that's coming, but he's rich in mercy. I said we're going to be done soon. We are. Uh, do we respond as David? Again, to these questions, they were, lifted, they were raised up. Do we respond as David? 2 Samuel 24, 10 through 17. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 10 through 17. As soon as I can get there. 2 Samuel 24. Almost. One more page. 10 through 17. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have, uh, in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning... The word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad, Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in, great, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let him not fall into the hand and, and let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel for the morning, from the morning, even to the time appointed, and there died of the people, from Dan even to Beersheba, seventy thousand men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of, of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arunah the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people, and said, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. So again, do we respond like that? When God says, Hey, that's sin. I know it's a tradition. I know it's a practice. I know it's something you've had for the beginning of your life. But that's not of me. And you respond like David? He cries out. He says, what? Let me, let me go in the hand of, hand of God. God is merciful. God even chooses the one that's the least amount of time. Pestilence for only three days. The time appointed. And God has, have, God has no joy whatsoever in what he did. So much so that even what? He says, Three days, and yet he comes back and says, All right, that's enough. Just stop. And the angel stops. Or Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses through 12, or verse 12 through 2-1. Habakkuk. Habakkuk, as I like to call him, but it's neither here nor there. And I went way too far again. There we go. <laughs> Habakkuk, chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, mine, hol mine holy one? Uh, we shall not die. O Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment, and O my, Almighty God, thou hast established them for correction. Thou art pu of pure eyes, and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he, and maketh men at the fishes of the sea as the creeping things, or, or and maketh men as the fishes of the sea, or as the creeping thing that have no rule over them. They take up all of them with the angle, they cast them in their net, and gather them in their drag, therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continuously to slay the nations? I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And Habakkuk comes up and is confounded. He says, What? You're going to judge Israel, your people, with a people more wicked than they are? I, I don't get it. And I like the end of it. Now Habakkuk's not coming with a high mind. He says, what? I've I'm, I'm got I to gotta wait. I don't understand it. How are you going to use that nation to come and judge us? How are you going to use that nation who, who goes and treats people like animals? Come in and they stick fish, fish hooks in their mouth and drag them back to their nation to do what they please. I, I don't get it. 
And I like the last of it. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk knows what's coming. But do we have that? Do we come to God and do we, do we hear these things and, and answer them? Now, the last section in Psalm 97. This is our application. Psalm 97. If I can finally get back there again. Psalm 97, verses 10 through 12 is our application. So number one, love what God loves and hate what God hates. That's Psalm 97, 10a. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. Second application, don't worry about tomorrow, but serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 97, 10b through 11. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Application number three, be glad in the Lord for he has made us righteous through his blood. Psalm 97, 12a, rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous. So again, he's made us righteous through his blood. And finally, number four, give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Psalm 97, 12b, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. It's almost like it's word for word. <laughs> but again, this is really what I want to come and when I was going through this, the reminder of the joy that you get to have, the joy that we get to have in our Lord. And I, and I don't want it to ever become to the point where I have been before, where we really just take it for granted. We really just come back and say, oh yeah, I know this. I know that God does this. I know that the judgment's coming. I know that he's given us grace and mercy. But really, uh, as we remember that, and that's why that last application, give thanks to the members of his holiness. As you remember what God has done and how holy he is and what he's done in your life and how he's made you righteous, give thanks. Remember these things and, and just be joyful. Again, the title, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. You and I, because of our Lord and what he's done, ought to be the most joyful, glad, happy people ever to walk this earth because remember how much we've been forgiven. And even though we, <clears throat> we, we're we going to remember and we see the fact that he's, his judgment is, is, is going to come and it's a sad state to have to, to, to see that and we have friends and family who reject, he's still righteous and true in his judgments and can we thank him and praise him that he's not going to go too far and he's not going to go too little. He's exactly right with every judgment he, he gives. So Lord Jesus, we love you and give you praise and give you glory. <clears throat> Again, uh, these, we go a little bit long because of these things, but I, I love the, your word and what, what we get out of it. And Psalm 97, uh, again, never look at this psalm the same way again. And that very first phrase, Lord, you do reign. You're upon the throne. You are the one that, that sits enthroned forever. And Lord, we look for that day we get to see you face to face. That's where we're going. That's where we go now. We get to come before your throne of grace and receive mercy. But Lord, thank you that we're going to get to be before your throne one day in heaven and fall before you and give you worship as we did today, as we gather together. But we're going to get to do it face to face. Look forward to that day then, just like John did as, as he falls there uh, before you and you come and, and you place the hand on him and <laughs> wipe away every tear. Allow us to stand in your presence because of how unworthy we are, but yet you've made us righteous, you've made us holy, You're, you've prepared that new body for us. Love you and praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you for the promise that you're coming back soon. The cry of our heart is, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. And the answer you give is, Behold, I come quickly. So love you and praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.